0: If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's perfect word. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse eight through chapter six, verse nine. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse, I need to turn there. Uh, ecclesiastes five, chap... ecclesiastes chapter five and verse eight. Are we all ready now to hear? Here we go. If you see, In a province, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money. that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because he God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. And it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, Yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the eyes of the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. You may be seated. Beloved, this is the Word of God for us this morning, and it is beautiful. It is more beautiful than I initially recognized it to be. That's why the the passage was initially shorter. It was just chapter 5, verse 8 through the end of the chapter. But then as I kept on studying, I noticed there was a beauty to the shape of of this passage, that it actually is longer than I first assumed. There's so much that I could say throughout this sermon just to go through these verses. But I want you to see how God has arranged our passage. Uh, here is a, a picture of the passage. Uh, this is called a chiasm. It looks kind of like half an X if you notice that. If you look back in your Bibles at the first two verses five, eight, and nine, there's a reference to the poor and there's a reference to food or fields being cultivated in farming. If you look at the end of our passage, chapter six, verses seven through nine, again, there's a reference to poor and there's a, an emphasis on food. I believe those things are corresponding together. We have another corresponding pair just inside of that. And so if you look back in chapter five, verses 10 through 17, or look forward in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, you see both of those passages have to do with father, children, and riches. And what I think God has put together in this passage of wisdom is the point, which is in the middle of the passage, both in five eighteen through 20, as well as its opposite in 6, 1 through 2. There is an emphasis on God giving the power to enjoy what, what life He has given to people or withholding that power to enjoy. I believe God has arranged this material in such a way that we are to see the point of the passage is right there in the middle. This is important for us to understand if we're to understand Happiness. that God gives the power to enjoy whatever good He has granted to us. Under the sun, which is a key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes, is this reference to life lived without regard for God, the, what, what most people in the world live their life with, without any consideration of God, as if everything that is under the sun is all that exists. And under the sun, happiness is found in hoarding commodities. That is the perspective of all those who do not give regard to God. Happiness can only be found if I will gain and gather and hoard for myself commodities. A commodity is, is a resource whose value is determined by its rarity or or its supply. So, So you think about one commodity in particular that's emphasized in our passage, and that is money or gold. That is the commodity that can gain you the rest of the commodities. If you have enough money, you can get power. Happiness, food, position, pleasure, happiness. If you have enough money, maybe you can get the right spouse and then get the right family who will love you. The name of the game in this life under the sun is the more commodities I have, the more happy I'll be. And I want you to recognize this temptation in your heart. It's in mine. Don't you just naturally assume your life will get better. If you get a little more power. If you get a little more stuff. Isn't that what's missing? Is that thing that you want? If you, if you can just get a few more key people in your life who love you. Let me persuade you with the New Testament. In the words of our Lord. When the gospel goes out it reaches different kinds of hearts and there is a kind of heart that lives like christ belongs to him but in the parable of soils what does it say the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the gospel in many who live their lives in church so beloved Let us consider God's word. And here is the point of the sermon. Joy is the most precious commodity under the sun. Joy is the most precious commodity under the sun. Joy is like happiness. It is not identical to happiness. It is better than happiness. Joy is something... Nothing in this world or all of this world cannot give to us. We're going to go through the passage and in those pairs that we saw earlier, the first pair at either end, those border verses, has to do with the oppressed and the hungry. The oppressed and the hungry. That's point number one. Look at chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. And the preacher is saying in these verses, you need to get real about the role of government. When you think about happiness. If we think about happiness, you better get real about what you think your government can give to you. Look at the word watching in in verse 8. This watching of one level below the the one before it, a a watching of the higher officials. This is not so much, I think about accountability as if you know, if you see in the province an oppression of the poor, don't worry. Don't be amazed because there's someone who they're going to answer to. It's not about accountability. Th- this, I think, is brought out better in, in, in some translations. This is about a I got your back kind of bureaucracy. It's the idea that don't be amazed if you see uh, 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 injustice in your small town. From the leaders there, because their superiors, well, they're corrupt just as well. They're looking out for them. Chapter five, verse eight, um, it, 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 it is 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 communicating this idea that. Even though the poor may be doing all the work in those cultivated fields, they may not have much of a portion left once the powers above them take their double portions. And the preacher says, don't be amazed at that. He says, don't be unrealistic here. Don't be the kind of person who insists on your rights under the sun. Chapter 5, verse 9 makes the point that a bureaucracy, after all, is better than autonomy. Even if uh, the the people in power, it's just corrupt, 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 all the way up the line. That's better than you just being on your own. Just understand that there's some blessings there when a king is, is committed because he eats from those fields as well. Yeah, he may not be leaving much for you. But if he's interested in those fields being cultivated, that will give you food, even if it's just a little. Church, be wise about the role of government in our happiness and in our unhappiness. I want you not to read verse 8, And just apply it to the governor of California. The founding fathers of our great nation lived under the sun. This country, great as it may be. Well, let's just grant it. Let's say that this is the greatest nation in history. We can apologize to Israel later. They actually had a leader that was sinless, God. But let's just pretend that America is the greatest nation in history. What kind of award is that? That, that would be like looking for the world's best athlete at the biggest loser house. You, you understand what he's he's trying to communicate you to you and me about being wise. Ecclesiastes is showing that every campaign promise of every candidate, every promise is made with a wink. They can't deliver. Did Obama really bring us hope again? Is Trump really going to make us great? No. America is great. I'm grateful for it. But America is great just like people are good. Like, Like in comparison to other people. And that's not necessarily saying all that much. Even the writer of Ecclesiastes, the king of Israel, answering to God. Governed under the sun. I mean, this author had how many wives? This author, how did he get all of his wealth? Christian, let us wait for another kingdom. A better one. Let us place our hope in a holy nation. And let us be unshaken by whatever happens, favorable or not, in November. Let me give you three ways that we can pray or we can respond to this wisdom in these first two verses. First of all, we should receive every exception to injustice. Whenever we see a glimmer of justice in our government, we need to receive that, according to this word, as undeserved and unexpected. The second thing is we should, at least in our country, we get to vote. We should vote for just leaders. We should vote for candidates who will bring about the most good as defined by God. And we should pray for God to move our leaders to be just and good. But third, we should not be amazed When decision makers get it wrong, that's what it says. Don't be so shocked. Don't go off on Facebook and rant about whatever side and just show everyone who's watching that you care more about government than you do the gospel. That you haven't listened to God in Ecclesiastes who said, "What?" don't be amazed at corruption in government. Don't be amazed in the province, he says, in Graham, when our decision makers get it wrong. City council, tax assessors, school board, don't be shocked. This is not the kingdom of Christ. But then there's the other half of of this this point being made at the end of our passage, looking down in chapter six, verses seven through nine, get real about happiness when it comes to food. I'll just make this point quickly. The fact that your appetite wanders and it cannot be satisfied. You should get real about what kind of happiness your food can give you because you're going to need it again. And that simple observation that you're just going to keep on needing meals should change the way you experience wanting more food now or better food now. That's not the worst thing in the world. Joy is the most precious commodity under the sun. Point number two is this middle section. And it's about rich and empty. The oppressed and the the hungry teach us something about happiness. What we should also learn about happiness is the rich in these passages are empty. I'm going to cover chapter 5 verses 10 through 17. There we'll see the point that lovers of money will lose. But then I'm going to look at chapter 6 verses 3 through 6. And there the point is riches Cannot buy you rest. First of all, chapter 5, verses 10 through 17, lovers of money will lose. And in these verses, I see four examples of how lovers of money are, are described as those who will lose. Number one is in verses 10 and 11. Look there. If you love money, you will lose the goods that you gain. You see the point? There in verses 10 and 11, that if you get more stuff, that is just going to result in more managers of that stuff. Those who gain in or increase in goods, verse 11, they increase who eat those goods. In other words, get more money. Well, you got to share some of that with a financial advisor get more money, get a bigger house. can't clean all that yourself. Who would if you got all that money? Share some of that with a housekeeper. You're going to need a gardener out there. And here come the freeloaders, to the people who have money. It will be, you will lose those goods that you gain. Secondly, verse 12, if you love money, you'll lose sleep. Here it's clear, rich foods that you can afford will frustrate R.E.M. You won't be sleeping all that much. You'll have an upset tummy. Number three, verses 13 and 14. You love money. You will lose investments and inheritance. You will lose the investment on a bad venture, it says. The markets under the sun are volatile, aren't they? I don't care how much of an expert you are. God ensures that everyone who will not acknowledge Him alone as God, and that includes those whose God is money, to whatever extent we're seeking happiness from money, God won't suffer that. And so He ensures the misery of those who live like that and will cause the markets to turn and you to lose your investment but also you'll lose an inheritance. The evil of loving money, the preacher says, is best illustrated in this father who loves money more than his children. So he has nothing to hand over to his son because he's lost all the money he lived for. You can imagine if if, if your focus in life is to pile up marbles, then you're also going to be really fearful of them falling and rolling all the way. The same goes for anyone who's focused on stacking up money. It's all their focus to the point where they just keep on missing family night. They keep on missing church. How many games of their childs do they miss? But fourth, in verses 15 through 17, lovers of money will lose everything. They will lose everything. And that's pictured in them being ashamed and being alone. They're ashamed, verse 15. Naked they came from their mother's womb. Naked, they will leave this world. No matter how much they filled their hands with, they will not be able to carry any of that out of this life. You should know what the preacher knows, and that is that nakedness is symbolic. It's a symbolism in in, in the Bible of being exposed. This is why you feel ashamed when you're naked. It's this picture of how how we cannot hide or this person who loved money will no longer be able to hide the sin of their greed. They'll no longer be able to persuade anybody that they did it all to honor God-given wit or God-given skill, and that's why I'm pursuing all this money because I'm just so smart and I've got the ability, and or I'm doing this to bless others. No, no, the nakedness here is exposing their shame. And when they die, death is going to usher them out of this world naked without any tokens of their wealth or any tokens of their achievement. And then living for wealth and living for achievement when they're dead and naked and all is seen for who they really are, it will prove what a shame that life. They'll lose everything. They'll be ashamed in verse 15, but verse 17 says they'll be alone. If you love money, you will end up alone. Loving money is a sin. That the world understands and promotes. And your parents may be proud of you for all you're achieving. And your wife may really support the comfortable life you're giving. And your children for a while are going to like all the toys. And the shareholders are certainly going to support you working all hours of the day. The world understands this. The world supports this. But don't be a fool. Don't just keep on working. The preacher says what that leads to is eating in darkness. eating and drinking in this passage and other places in the scriptures is a reference to what we should be doing in fellowship in community here the point is made you eat in darkness if you love money because you got to get up before the sun if you're going to make enough bucks and and you shouldn't clock out until the family has already eaten All the kids are in bed, wife's in bed. So you eat by yourself in the dark every day, all your days. If you love money, the preacher says, you will be full of frustration. Why am I so alone? You'll be full of anger. Why don't they want to spend time with me when I give them so much? And we just heard this from the New Testament as well. Those who love money will fall. Those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into traps, into many senseless and harmless, harmful desires. And through that craving to have more, 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 some will wander away from Jesus and into hell. We live for what we love. You want to know what you really love. It's what you spend your life on. And the preacher is describing people who don't know God. So beloved, don't live like this. Under the sun. Happiness is found in hoarding commodities. And the commodity that can buy all other commodities is money. Money can get me that personal trainer. Money can get me that dietitian. Money can get me supplements and doctors. It'll tra- attract the right kind of person or whatever. And he's saying, it is foolish to love and live for money. Because, the preacher says, isn't it just so hard to get By the sweat of your brow, you will eat. And it's so easy to lose. Got a sure bet. All gone. We cannot guarantee we can keep money and we know or we should that we can't take it with us. Beloved, look up. The preacher is calling us to look above the sun And consider who is the real owner. The wealthy kept what they owned to their hurt. Who is the real owner of our wealth? If we will not acknowledge him. Who gave us all that we own. Then we will be owned by our possessions. Need to acknowledge him. We need to think like him about money. We need to use our money the way that he wants us to. He calls us more than to make money to love people. Money is a means. It is never an end. It's a means to that end. It's a tool for the greater task of knowing God and serving God or your life will be wasted. It's, it's a tool to bless others To know God better. So does your money work for worship? Is your money right now, your spending promoting your worship of God or worship of this world? Does your spending show that you think God is everything Are you trying to show others God in the way that you spend your money? But then we have the, the second half in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. Lovers of money will lose, but riches cannot buy rest. Here, the preacher notices even turning to the people of God and the way that they view money differently. And he wants us to understand this as well. Riches differently for the, for the Israelite. To be really prosperous and rich, that was measured in children and in long life. So he's talking about riches here, but just another view of riches. Here he talks about a father who has a hundred children and many years. But if he doesn't have satisfaction, if he's not happy in the gifts that God has given, then he is worse off than a stillborn. Can you imagine a greater tragedy than carrying a child to term? All the dreams, all the prayers, and the baby's delivered dead. The stillborn baby is better off than the man who lives 2,000 years with hundreds of children because the stillborn baby knows rest. The stillborn baby does not know by experience the world's evils and how this rich man should have been happy, but he's not. Joy is the most precious commodity under the sun. Point number three is the main point. Point number three, chapter five, verses 18 through six, verse two is the main point. Empowered to enjoy. Ecclesiastes, remember, it's explaining to us how our world has gone wrong from the one that God had created. And it's as if we get to the middle of our, the garden of our passage, and there we find the tree of the knowledge of good and the tree of the knowledge of evil. God tells us, you see that in these verses, what is good, but then on the other hand, what is evil? Are you listening to Him or will you be like Adam and Eve and not listen about good and evil? Chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil in the few days of the life that God has given, this is our reward. And then chapter six, this is the evil. There is an evil I have seen under the sun. It lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. The opposite was said of the one Back in chapter 5, verse 19, what is good is for God to give you power to enjoy what he has given. God is good. And so in both of these examples, in the good one and the evil one, God gives good to each he is kind to everyone the bible says that he sends his rain on those who hate him he gives food to everyone in the world including all those who will never acknowledge him this is a reference to common grace he has been good to the one in 518 through 20 he's given food he's given possessions he's given wealth He is good to the one who experiences evil. In chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he's given food and wealth and possessions and honor. He is kind. And everyone in the world experiences in a common way God's grace because he is gracious. The fool imagines, look in chapter 6, verse 2. If I can just get everything on my wish list, he gets all that he desires, the meaningful career. He gets the raise. He gets the good-looking spouse. He gets the healthy children. He gets the boat. He gets the respect. And he thinks, if I get it all, I can be happy. Listen to me. The commodities of the world can make you happy the commodities of the world can make you happy for a while it must be thrilling i mean to be able to go on these grand vacations and eat nothing but rich food and to never have to actually make those or make that food or or wash the dishes to to go to, to have beautiful cars that never never break down i mean it it The commodities of this world can make you happy, but happiness is like everything else in this world. The text says it is vanity, it is vain, it is it is passing away, it is empty whatever happiness it gives. Ecclesiastes is reminding us that sin will throw you off the scent of true satisfaction so that everyone in the world is searching in all the wrong places for real happiness. So this point is made just crystal clear. You were never meant to seek satisfaction in creation. But always from the creator. Who's the difference in the middle there? It is God. And what he gives. Joy is the most precious commodity in the world because so few get it and there is no resource in the world that can afford it. Joy, like happiness, but better joy. Here's the definition. The deep and abiding satisfaction of soul that is granted to those who trust that God is good. This is joy. I'm going to say it again. It is the deep and abiding satisfaction of the soul That is granted to those who trust that God is good. What good is it if you get all you desire? That's explicitly said in six, one and two. To get everything that you have lived for and have no joy in it. You can testify. How long did that thing that you just had to get? How long did it satisfy you? How long did that medal or that title fill you? If you are going to have joy, God must give it. We need a good God or the entire world. All the population will only ever be miserable. How do we get it? We know who gives it, but look at the text. Look at chapter five, verse 19. It says how we get joy. Look at chapter six, verse two. It makes the same point. How is it that we can get joy to have the most precious commodity in this world to have something that only some have? You must have something else to get it. You have to have power. You have to have the thing that sin robbed from us. Sin took away the power to enjoy these simple good things in this world because sin made those things God's to us. Things that we live for, things that we'll sin against others to get, things that we will ruin others to get. Sin made good things God's and therefore it took away all the power we can have to actually enjoy it to the extent that we should enjoy it. You need power. The question is, where does that power come from? Where is it that we should look to find the source of every single good, big and small? What was necessary for God to do in order to share good with anyone since everyone rejects Him. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What brings joy to Jesus? What is it that brings deep and abiding satisfaction of soul to Jesus? Did you hear it? It is forgiving sinners. It is rescuing people from eternal misery. After a death, a life lived against him and death in our sin, it it is a joy that is like a carrot being waved in front of him, it, it, it's it's being raised beyond the shame of the cross, and then giving his inheritance from the father and sharing it with others who do not deserve it. That brings him joy. So much joy that he says. I will be willing to endure my father's righteous eternal anger on the cross. I will be willing to endure all their blasphemy, all their lies, all their mockery. I will be willing to endure the cross's cruel pain, if I can have that, a people for my own possession, who know my love, who have forgiveness because of my blood, who can share in my home and know my father, I will endure it all for that kind of joy. Listen, there is only one way that God can be good to anyone ever, and that is if Christ buys it with blood. And even if you don't know Jesus as Savior, you are still benefiting from His cross and you don't even know it. I don't mean that you're saved. You don't get the best good. No, if you live your life receiving all the good that God does give to you because every single pleasure that you have and that I have, whether you're a believer or not, everything that is good, every kindness that we've experienced has come from someone else. But the best good is the Son, and you can have that. But to have it, you've got to stop working for the bread that is ruining. And you've got to look to the Son who is given from heaven and turn from your sin and living without Him and disregarding Him and trust in Him, and you will have the best. You will have joy. Let me close us briefly. Three things. Three words to the wise of how to live for joy. First of all, you've got to ask God for it. Do not ask of the things of this world what they cannot give. Stop looking to those things. You've got to ask God. He is the one who gives power to enjoy and he withholds power to enjoy. That may mean that your prayers, not only for yourself, but for others need to change. How common is it for us to pray for things that will make us happy for a little bit? A healing, more money, less difficulty. We should pray for those things but not more than we pray for a deep and abiding satisfaction of the soul and pray that for others. And that often comes and is displayed in the midst of unhappy circumstances. Ask God for joy. Second, appreciate whatever God gives to you. Do not trade joy for happiness. Everything here will fade away, but a, a lot that's here is good while it lasts. So chapter 5, verses, verse 18, look, look at the reference to just eating and drinking. This is just so simple. You should take joy in that if God gives you food and drink. And there in the context, remember, it's about sharing with others. Listen, do not work so much for money or pout so much because you don't have money that you do not open your home and share meals with others, however lavish that is or however meager that is. Enjoy meat. Enjoy butter. Enjoy wine. Enjoy fresca. Or the better is LaCroix. Take pleasure in a full day's work. Whether you're edging your yard or selling oil and gas for much less than you would like, or you're, you're just teaching a child how to tie their shoes, take joy in encouraging those children to help with lunch. There are kids in this community, little kids, who this week swam a mile on Thursday and by Saturday, they were fussing about things. Of course, it wasn't going to fulfill you. It wasn't going to last, but you should enjoy it. You should enjoy it. You should be grateful God gave you the ability to do what most people cannot do. And you did not waste that opportunity. Enjoy it. Beloved, mostly I'm just calling you to live before God. The simple should be sacred to us. I mean, sanctify the simple pleasures, whatever your position, whatever your possession, whatever meal you're having, whatever moment you're in. All of it's from him live before him with Thanksgiving and use it for him. We have a good God and he is over us all the time and he's good to us all the time. Take joy. Third and finally, avail yourself of grace. Joy is ultimately a fruit of the Spirit. Look in verse 20. He will not much remember the days of his life. Notice this is amazing because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. If you're a Christian, that is what you want for God to keep you occupied. For your heart to be preoccupied with joy. For your heart to be distracted from the undesired circumstances in your life. But for you to be in your heart so happy in God that you give little thought. Don't you want this? To give little thought to what is hard currently. To the injustices by your superiors. To the neglect of your Parents to the loss of money, to the failed investments, to your illness that you're enduring, to your sleepless nights. So you want to give little thought to that because your heart is so happy in God. This text says God keeps his children joyful like that. It's his will to grow us in untouchable joy. Avail yourself of the means of grace that the Spirit would give you in joy. But the world has commodities. We have Christ. We have Christ. And therefore, we should have joy. Because He died in our place. And He's not dead. Because He is bringing us to a day where He will, for ages to come, display the riches of His kindness toward us. It will never, ever end. Our increase of joy in Him. Beloved, set your hope fully on that grace that is coming in Christ Jesus. Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause this word to find a home in our hearts that we would know that joy is the most precious commodity under the sun and that it was bought by the blood of our savior and that it is ours and that your will for us is to have joy no matter our state or circumstances. Oh, God, we pray that you would give it that that this world might have a witness that there is something better than anything in this world, and that is Christ. Oh, God, help us for the praise of your name and for the enjoyment of your people we ask this in Jesus name amen